Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. It is a holiday. Hope you enjoyed your Veterans Day. Tom and Keith with you on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to the men and women who have served our country. And uh, though it's a holiday, Keith, uh, it was anything but a respite for Florida State football news today. Uh, A Wednesday, there's always practice. There's always a press conference, but you don't always have wholesale changes. So we'll just jump right in. Uh, A lot of pretty big names for Florida State are no longer going to be associated with FSU football. Coach Norvell hinted at it, uh, not at what was going to be said, but that something would be said in his Monday press conference. And uh, he did not uh, disappoint from the standpoint of big news, uh, some wholesale changes. And uh, you and I were talking before we came on the air. You asked me if I anticipated this. and, And my honest answer is yes, maybe not to the degree or the level, but uh, after Monday's statement from Coach Norvell, I just had an inkling there were going to be some personnel changes going forward. Well, we could let the cat out of the bag, but instead of giving you the Cliffs notes, why don't you listen to Mike Norvell's comments from earlier today when he met the media, and then Keith and I will react. Here's Coach Norvell. This was late this morning. Uh, big news involving Florida State football. You know, I just wanted to thank James for the time that uh, you know, he provided me and the opportunity to coach him, and I wish him all the best as he's moving forward. Um, you know, um, you know, Marvin Wilson and Devonte Love, uh, uh, Devonte Love Taylor, uh, both um, have, have experienced injuries that uh, uh, will keep them out for the rest of the year. Uh, Tamari and Terry uh, is no longer a part of the program, and um, with a, you know some high-profile players uh, leaving the team particularly James and Tamari and how have other players talked to you about that? Have, have they responded um, okay to that situation? No, absolutely. I mean, the guys, the guys that are here, um, you know, have come to work each day, uh, you know, this week and just continuing to focus on, on their improvement and uh, this football team. Um, that's something that, that, that I appreciate. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what we, it's what we're here to do. And, uh, you know, it's you know, our, our coaching staff, our players, everybody involved is to, to invest in each other and invest in this program and to do things to a, to a certain standard. Um, you know, it, it is, it's, it's challenging, uh, you know, when, 
when you have disappointment uh, you're there on, on game day and you, and you come up short, uh, but the, the objective doesn't change. Our, our, job, our job and responsibility as players and coaches is to get better and to, to go out there and put ourselves in the best position to win. And uh, you know, that's what we're going to continue to do every, every day uh, with, with all aspects of what we're doing within the program. And um, you know, we've got some guys that I mean, are, are un- unbelievable in how they work and, and unbelievable in, in what they're doing. I know we mentioned Asante there um, you know, this last week and just how that's kind of shown up. But, I mean, you know, guys that are they're older players, him, Emmett Rice, uh, you know, I want, like Jay Sean Corbin, I mean, just remarkable. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, Cam McDonald. I mean, I was thinking about some older guys that have, that have really just, you know, you're pushing themselves harder than, they, than they've, you know, really ever pushed just to, to help with that process and to be the example and to just to be the best version of them. And, uh, you know, it's, this is not for, it's not for everybody. You know, there's, there's you know, at, at the end of the day, there's going to be challenges that show up. Uh, there's going to be challenges that show up, you know, not in, in a football season and, and uh, you know, in every aspect of, of what you do. I mean, there's also going to be challenges in life and how you respond to those challenges, uh, you know, really speaks to who you are and, and what you're all about. And, uh, you know, we're excited about, uh, about the guys that we have and, and moving forward. Keith, an awful lot to react there. And Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider, will join us next segment and we can we can dive deeper. James Blackman, you have to tip your cap to him and what he's been through in four years. I really can't do justice to it in this in this short time. But, you know, he was a freshman when Florida State played Alabama to open the 2017 season and Francois gets hurt. And, low, and and at that time, we didn't even know if it would be Blackman or if it might have been, I think it was Hawkman might have been in the mix. It ended up being Blackman. And that was Jimbo's last year, tough year. But then after that, he gets he gets Walt Bell and Willie for one year. Then he gets Kendall Bryles. Now he has Mike Norvell. Just an awful lot has been asked to him, and his career clearly regressed. I think it's the right decision for James, who will still have two years left after this. Uh, it's a shame that his last experience at FSU was an interception and getting booed as he took the field. You know, we talk about how things go around. Isn't it also ironic that very likely that same Brady Hawkman will start for NC State or at least play for NC State when FSU travels up there this weekend? No, you, you cannot say enough if things I say- about, uh, about Blackman. Um, he is a guy, in my opinion, particularly amongst the letter winners, former athletes will go down as being a true Seminole. Maybe his numbers and his one-loss record don't back it up, but his attitude, uh, his composure from the standpoint of how he handled things, his effort, uh, he will go down as a true Seminole, and uh, you can do nothing but wish him well as he goes forward. And uh, I, I may have said Brady Hawkman. It's Bailey Hawkman. But uh, so, so good luck to James. Um, you know, by the way, on the quarterback front, Jordan Travis is day-to-day, which to me would – lean me to think that it's, it's probably Chubba Purdy that we're going to see Saturday. I, I don't know that. Um, but the rest of the thing, news there, so the biggest loss based on performance this year is Devontae Love-Taylor. I mean, we saw what that looked like when he went out on Saturday, and I know that was Pitt's defensive front, but early on, Florida State at least had something productive, and then he left, and there was five sacks in the second quarter. So that's that's a big loss there. A big loss both from his performance on the field and then, as you've heard uh, the coaches talk about this week, just his leadership and the continuity that he brings to that offensive front. Uh, yeah, that's a big loss. And uh, certainly we hope that um, he gets well. Every indication is that he'll be back next year. Uh, and, I, and I certainly think Florida State would benefit from that if he does. And then Marvin Wilson, who 
never lived up to the hype this year. Uh, did a nice job blocking some kicks early on. Uh, as well as he played last year, we just never saw it this year. He's out for the year. I don't know that it was definitively declared that he wouldn't come back because everybody could take a mulligan this year, but he's now had his last two seasons cut short by injury. Have to assume that he's going to move on at this point and test the NFL waters. Um, thoughts on Marvin? Plenty of people thought that uh, he should have gone ahead and uh, left last year, you know, and we talked about uh, his want to come back and to get his degree, his, his want to come back and reestablish the Florida State program, uh, which in that regard was very selfless. But I think we in the media, and particularly those of us that are fans, overhyped Marv. And then you had some of the off-field issues that are uh, part of being a leader on the team relative to the pandemic and social injustice and those types of things. And it just got blown way out of proportion. And surely he would be the first to tell you that he didn't have uh, the performance that he would have liked to have this year in his limited uh, time. But that was a, uh, a true um, storm, a big storm of things coming together. And candidly, this is also the best move from Marvin. He cannot do anything to help his standing relative to his NFL future. And all he could do is hurt it if he put more things on tape playing uh, below what he wants to play at. Well, and he's hurt, though, so he can't, that's not even an option right now. It's, it's whether he would come back for one more year. So he's out for the year. Uh, he, by the way, is an example of when guys turn pro early and as fans we get frustrated, no, this is what they're seeking to do. And it's commendable if they want to come back for whatever reason. But, but Marvin has cost himself some money based on last year versus this year, almost certainly. He'll have a chance to make it up maybe, but I, I, you can't ever begrudge a guy for turning pro. They got to do what's in the best interest of them. That, that's what this sport is. Everybody else takes care of themselves. Uh, it didn't work out for him, unfortunately. And not to wholeheartedly disagree with you, but Marvin is hurt. He is not injured. And if you've played the game before, you know what that difference is. Well, let's I, – I don't know the details on it, and I don't know if uh, – maybe you do. That, that's my personal opinion. Gotcha. Uh, Tamari and Terry, this one – you know, Tamari never lived up to his hype either. To me, he's just been a, a raw, fast guy. And the disappointing thing here is that I thought Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game was the best game he played in his Florida State career, and then he immediately had a knee procedure, and, and now he's not going to stick it out. And that is a big loss because the Florida State receiving core is just not good this year, especially without him. It was a segment that at one point you thought was going to be very deep and uh, very productive. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, things have just happened, not the least of which is Tamarian. And he, too, like Marvin, Tommy, you know, what he was putting on tape right now was not positive for him. And so, uh, I'm, you know, I'm old school. I, I think if you're injured, you don't play. If you're hurt, you do play. If you've got eligibility left, you play. But that ain't the world we live in right now. And it is truly in his also best interest to just go ahead and shut it down and um, – continue on you know the the analogy i would use is the safety for pit that uh decided to opt out last week and therefore was not available in the florida state game 
there just wasn't much for him to play for relative to the team and relative to uh, bowl and or playoff and or conference championship and or anything else. And I hate being old school. I hate when kids, you know, kind of throw in the towel. But that's the world that we live in, particularly if you have an opportunity to play at the next level. And 40 years ago, you were making tens of thousands of dollars decisions. In 2020, you're making million dollars decisions. And I've had to kind of uh, adapt and, and kind of change my attitude a little bit about what some of these guys are doing. No question. Okay, so Bob Ferranti, our Osceola Insider, will join us next segment. Also, Florida State women's basketball coach Brooke Wyckoff will join us coming up. ACC Operation Basketball going on, and she is serving as the interim head coach this year as Sue Semrau is on leave. And we need to talk men's basketball, too, where the men were picked, matched their highest uh, predicted finish ever, picked to finish third in the ACC, and actually with a preseason uh, freshman pick of the year in Scotty Barnes. So a lot to talk about on that front. Unfortunately, uh, football is dominating the headlines today, and we will get to that next when Front Row Knowles continues after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you, and we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. And, Bob, we we heard some of the comments from Coach Norvell in the first segment. And, obviously, uh, not a slow news day on the Florida State front, and especially when the head coach opens up and the comment is about, you know, if you were going to rank the biggest names on the team, I mean, that hits uh, an awful lot of them. They're certainly all in the top, you know, five or ten. Big news. Yeah, and you and I were talking about this before the show, but Devontae Love-Taylor kind of strikes me as as one of the big ones because he started at right tackle, at right guard, at left tackle. So not just a starter, not just a leader with a lot of game experience, but a guy with a lot of versatility that you feel like you can plug in there depending on what are the other situations, what are the other injuries. So losing him, and I'm sure he'll be a, a leader in the in the segment room, on the practice field, he'll do what he can. But to not have him in there, to not have him on the field and help out the younger guys, the freshmen, the redshirt freshmen, that's that's really, I think, the biggest miss for this team moving forward. We talked about in the first segment uh, about James Blackman, and, and I made the comment, which I wholeheartedly believe, that he will go down as a favored Seminole, a true Seminole, even though he's leaving because of what he went through. I found it interesting, interest, uh, would be curious as to your comments, uh, just contrasting what Courts Novell said in announcing Blackman versus Tamari and Terry. Uh, should we read too much into that, or are we correct in reading at least something into that? It's very interesting. Um, Coach Norvell spoke glowingly about James and the commitment he's made to this program, what he's done, what he's going to do which is likely try to finish up his degree and also transfer, maybe play elsewhere. We'll see how that plays out. I'm not sure how close he is truly to graduation, but 
when he'd be able to play, would he be able to play in August or would he have to wait till late November of next year with his next school? Contrasting that to Terry, it was, it was a very short and clipped answer that he had left the team when asked a, a follow-up question about it. It, it, it was clear that, that Coach Norvell really didn't want to go too deep into it that, you know, again, that, that Tamarian decided to leave the team. And so you can draw into why Tamarian's leaving. I think a lot of it has to do with the two and five season. It's not looking up. Um, I, I think Tamarian also sees that he's not hundred percent back. You, you didn't see that, that same burst, that, that speed, that ability to, to separate. He caught two passes and I think it was advantageous. They got that pass interference call, but you know, he, he just didn't seem to have it back. Maybe he decided to come back a little too soon for whatever reason, whether that was him or, or otherwise. I, I think with James, everybody starts the conversation with the guy does bleed Garnet and gold. Yes. It's very, very true. Um, I, I think one of the things that I saw immediately after the news broke on Twitter, you know, coach Norvell lamented the booze, the booze from Saturday night when James took the field um, and was announced over the PA at Doak. And, and Norvell said he was, he was really unhappy and disappointed to hear those boos. And I think he is fair in, in stating that. But somebody quickly responded to me and said, Coach, the, the boos were at you. The, the boos were for that decision of putting James Blackman in the game. So I, I think part of the, the memory of, of James is, he has played through so much turmoil through four head coaches, including Odell. And it's just a, a very bizarre time that he was here. I, I think he fought and he, he gave Florida state some big wins, especially earlier in his career, but it, it just truly never really worked out under Taggart and, um, and now under Norvell. I'm going to sound like the Homer here, Bob, which maybe I typically do, <clears throat> but I feel like the fan base, and I get why, but we're taking four years of frustration and putting it all on Norvell on this current staff. So the fan base, we, we've seen James Blackman in 17, 18, and 19, but we're asking Norvell to factor all that into what his experience with Blackman is. And on the one hand, you can say a good leader would know all that, but on the other hand, and we've talked about this before, you wipe the slate clean and you make your decisions based on what you're seeing. And we're also making this assumption that Chubba Purdy has been ready to play. And we saw Chubba the next several series, and clearly with that offensive line, that wasn't necessarily a winning combination either. So, and as I pointed out to Keith in our Sunday show, you know, part of the narrative about James Blackman is that he, the reason he's not good now is because he was forced to play too early, and we're trying to solve the problem by playing a kid too early. And so where will we be in three? I just think it's – I don't think it's as clear cut to, to – you know, it's easy to say in hindsight when you throw an interception that he should have never gone to Blackman. But, I mean, the rest of that half happened too, and it wasn't like Purdy led FSU for six touchdown drives. It's a tough one looking back. I mean, a lot of people will, will argue that James was was hurt by playing so early. It was He was always looked at as a guy who was going to redshirt in 2017. He was always looked at as a developmental guy. Um, frankly, I, I think he played some of his best football late in that 2017 season when Randy Sanders kept the playbook really simple, focused on the run, and, and James just had to do the essentials, you know, but, but kind of keep it simple. And he played some of his best football winning at Florida um, and winning some of those two games late in the year. You know, with, with Chuba, I think we all see that high school film and we all jump to conclusions. That's the biggest problem. 
He was a guy who wasn't here in the spring, as Kenny Dillingham mentioned on Monday. He had six weeks. And and really it's 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 those six weeks after that collarbone injury. He didn't have the scrimmages, he didn't have the August time. We're we're kind of jumping to the conclusion that that Chuba is ready to take on a bigger role. I think the other problem is we're seeing him so late in games where Florida State has to give up on the run because the, the scoreboard indicates you have to pass. And the defense knows what's what's gonna happen, what's coming, and it puts Chuba in, in a bad spot. How can we truly evaluate Chuba because the pass rush is so intense and the receiver play has been, frankly, somewhat poor and, and lacking? I, I just don't know how you evaluate any of the quarterbacks truly and, and come up with a conclusive answer as to who you go with the next four games. I just feel like at this point, play who you think is healthy and ready and get them reps and, and and help their development for 21 because these last four games, that's really all it's about is, is just kind of just gathering film for the future. And and Bob, to that point, while this is big news, is it really bad news? Is it really bad news? Um, I think I would say no. I think you start to question who the leaders are on the team more than the lost production from these guys in particular. I mean, losing Devontae Love-Taylor, that's clearly a guy who we all would agree he's a leader. He's a productive player. Was James going to play the rest of the year? No, I think we all walked out of Doke on Saturday night thinking that that's the last time we've seen James in Garnet and Gold. Marvin Wilson's biggest production was on special teams and not on defense, not impacting, affecting the passer. Terry, I think you'd love to have to run him deep and, and maybe get some catches pan out and all, but in the end, Norvell has to go forward with the guys who are fully bought in and fully healthy. And I'm not going to question Marvin's injury or buy-in. I'm I'm clearly not. I think you all understand that, but Norvell has to move forward with, with the guys who are healthy and the guys who are ready to roll. And, but I do question the leadership. I, I think we have to start wondering how many leaders are left? How are they leading? Are they speaking up? Are they saying the right thing? Because coaches can say it and they can yell and they can ask veterans to do it. But are the veterans or some of the younger kids, are they leading? Are they going to carry this team forward? Or maybe it's time for some of those younger kids, if given the opportunity to say something and step up, we'll see. Well, the younger kids have been getting the opportunity even before this week, Keith, as you know, from the metrics, I mean, the percentage has been climbing every week in terms of freshmen and sophomore and the number of snaps that they're getting out there on the field. Bob, back to the quarterback, though, Jordan Travis is day to day and Florida State doesn't really give, you know, Coach Norvell is not going to tip his hand on that. So day to day might literally mean that we won't know until before kickoff that Jordan's playing or it might mean that. It's already purdy, but let's, let's go with the scenario that Travis is available. Maybe the best case is just to split, uh, whether you do it every third series or every other series. I mean, Travis is getting dinged. Purdy needs reps. Just handle it that way with those two. I do think the fact that their skill sets are better aligned than when Blackman was there, it does allow you to practice, uh, you know, more of the same plays because they both suit Travis and Purdy. Totally agree there. If you think if you think that Tate Rodemaker is not an option in the short term and it doesn't feel like he is, 
then you have an offense that you can design toward the strengths of Travis and Purdy. And it makes a lot of sense to go with those guys. I, I know as an old Florida state mind, we think back to the Kentucky Derby offense of the nineties and that ability to get a, a second quarter drive for a, a quarterback where he's around the, the, the first team offense. What kind of value would Chubba Purdy get from playing in the second quarter as opposed to middle third, late fourth when the game's out of hand? I, I think there's significant opportunities moving forward where he needs to get in the game when, when the score is close, when you can still effectively run the ball, because that's your offensive identity is to be able to move the ball on the ground. Um, I, again, I just want to see these guys develop and figure out who the answers are. With Jordan, we, we probably talked about this on and off for the last month. He, he has tried to protect his body. He has tried to slide more. But at times, clearly, he's still fighting for that yard. And you have to question, Jordan, is that really the, the right move? Should you be fighting there? Or should you be getting out of bounds? Should, should you be sliding, protecting yourself, turning your body a little bit more? Do we, it's, yeah. Do we think it's the same injury for Jordan? Or was this new? What was sustained against Pitt? You know, Chris Norvell has not said it, but looking at the the game Saturday night, looking at the replay a couple times, when he took that hit late second quarter toward the Florida State sideline, he popped up but kind of shook his head, and it it was pretty clear he took a good shot to his head. I felt like the initial injuries was more shoulder. This one, you hate to say concussion, let's let's call it potential of a of a hit to the head. So this is classic concussion. You, you take your uniform off and you're on the sidelines and street clothes in the second half. Now, I don't know, but that's what the optics would tell you. Yeah. Our friend Tom Lang likes to say, read the tea leaves. I'm, I'm big on reading the tea leaves there too. And I think you can, you can draw the conclusion that, that that's possibly the case. So then you have to wonder how long is he having post-concussion like symptoms how do you monitor him? How much do you even let him out on the practice field? Um, because if you let a kid out near the practice field, he's going to want to practice. So, yes, I think we could very well see Chubba Purdy on Saturday. And I think a lot of fans will want to see that. But it's also one where you have to be cautious of, of how you develop him, how you, how you bring him along. Because, again, he didn't have all that time in August and early September, as well as not having a spring because he wasn't even on campus. So, I would just say you've got to bring in an offense that is is streamlined, that is is tailored toward what you think he truly can accomplish, and put him in positions where he can find success. You know, whether it's running, throwing, RPO, uh, you just have to put him in a good situation. Well, getting the majority of reps will help, and and knowing if that's the case, if we're making that assumption, and it would it's been Purdy every day at practice, he's getting more reps because even for the time he's been healthy, you know, if it's six weeks, that's not six weeks of reps because he's still splitting reps, and part of that he was third team, you know, so he's not been getting. It's not six weeks of meaningful reps necessarily. Bob, what else on this front with uh, football? I mean, we knew it was going to be a tough twenty twenty. We all not just meeting us three fans, media, everybody. We spend the nine months in the off season convincing ourselves it won't be this bad. Uh, turns out it, it, you know, this is, this is where Florida state's going to have to go before moving forward. I, I guess I'll say this. I hear a lot of talk about how this is hurting recruiting and that, and that's true, but I feel like we're missing so many steps along the way 
like for Florida State to get to Alabama or Clemson, that's that's A to Z. So, yeah, you're not going to get five stars right now based on this. But you have to complete steps B, C, D, E, and the rest of the alphabet before we even worry. If you do those things and make progress, then you can get to Z and the five stars will start coming again. It's not going to be right now. I, I just feel like there's a disconnect to say that's the biggest issue right now. To me, the issue is you got to get guys out there who are bought in, whatever level they are, two-star, three-star, four-star, play better than the sum of your parts, and then other higher-caliber athletes will come back to FSU. I think that's very fair. I, I think you have to look at who has bought in, who who will buy in. I think the transfer portal is going to be huge for this program. And, and look, we can we can criticize it, but it's the reality of college football. It's going to be a revolving door. It's going to help you and hurt you. And is Coach Norvell going to hit that transfer portal really hard in the offseason? Absolutely. It's going to happen. And the APR, this is kind of a storyline that's that's going to open up the NCAA is going to relax the APR regulations for the next two years. It's going to allow programs to have a revolving door roster. And, and so you can fully say to a player, we appreciate you, but we think it's in your best interest to, to go in separate directions. And coach Norvell is going to sign every kid that he thinks can be impactful. And you're right. They're not going to be five-star guys. They're going to be three-star and four-stars, but, the Florida State program in its early days was built on the blue collar work ethic of those kind of recruits. And, and it's just, it's going to take time competing against Clemson, not going to happen for years, but competing against and trying to get back to the middle tier of ACC programs by attracting three stars and four stars. And that's, that's the roadmap. It's going to take a long time. You know, I, I wrote this the other day. Is this a short-term rebuild? You want me to lie to you? I'll tell you. Sure, it's a short-term rebuild. You want me to tell you the truth? It's a long-term rebuild, folks. It's it's not going to come fast. But I, I think people do want to see progress and improvements along the way. And it's fair to expect those kind of improvements. It's fair to expect reduction in penalties. It's fair to expect the team is more competitive on a week-to-week basis. And maybe that's going to be hard these last four games because you're missing a lot of pieces. But you you do want to see, if you are a fan or a media member or a coach, frankly, you want to see some signs of improvement. And you guys know this, our listeners know this, I am not a fan of the transfer portal in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But you are exactly right, Bob. It is the reality. And don't forget, if anybody's questioning, come January, the NCAA will pass the rule, my opinion, that if you go through the transfer portal, you do not have to sit out a year. And that will be a permanent decision. So therefore, as you utilize the transfer portal, you won't have to worry about whether you will or will not get a waiver. And that could be really interesting too, as far as just, it it solidifies a kid where he's going to be on campus for the remainder of his college career. And I think that helps coaches to know, I don't have to re-recruit these kids down the road. So there is a lot of legislation coming up forward that, you know, frankly, I, th- I think it could help Florida State in the big picture. It could help college football to kind of stabilize, whereas the transfer portal seemed almost like a, a, a Wild West version of free agency that just wasn't, maybe wasn't regulated right. It was a concept that was good initially, but it it just didn't have any time, any kind of guidelines or or guardrails to use that NCAA term. Where, where they could 
kind of put pieces in place to make things work in its intended manner. Okay, Bob, we've uh, taken enough of your time. Appreciate the uplifting talk that we've just had. Uh, uh, you know, it's good, good mentally there. Have a good, good rest of your day. <laughs> I can tell you're going to book Pat next week. So that's, that's good. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, for more of that uplifting news, go to the Osceola.com. He'll break it all down for you this week. All right, we'll, we'll step aside and come back with more front row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. We're going to shift our attention from football and bounce over to basketball now as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once again. And say hello to Brooke Wyckoff, longtime Noel and uh, acting head coach for the women's basketball team this year. Brooke, how are you? I'm great. I'm doing well. It's so good to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's good to see you as well. It's been a surreal 2020, as we all know. So uh, there's there's a lot to cover here. But I guess uh, uh, in light of your relationship with Coach Sue, can you walk us back through, you know, sort of what Coach Sue's been going through and when you knew that you might be asked to step up in this role to pinch hit for her this year? Yeah, um, it's been, it was a long kind of process in terms of when we first found out uh, about her mom's cancer and then coming to this final decision that she, Coach Sue would step away for this season. Um, but it really was over the period of, of months and COVID had a lot to do with it, honestly, with um, combining the inability to really travel comfortably or quickly with COVID, the risk of COVID, and her mom um, being in Seattle and so far away and dealing with the cancer and the chemotherapy and a, a weakened immune system. Over a period of months over the summer, it started to become clear that Coach Sue was going to be uh, needed uh, and need to be available to be able to travel, be able to be with her mother which with all of those restrictions and all of those factors was going to be really tough to do and be tied to a basketball season and schedule. So she made the decision, which has been a, you know, bedrock of our program since I was a freshman of you are a person first and the things that affect you personally are the most important, i.e. family. And we do that for our players all the time, make those decisions to allow them to deal with things that uh, pertaining to their family and what's most important. And that became the case for Coach Sue. So we were all ready and not surprised that that was the decision. And, and um, you know, I, I hate the circumstances, but it's obviously a, a very humbling uh, and great opportunity for me. And, and I'm just thankful for the trust that Coach Sue and the, and the players have, and the staff have put in me to be able to um, be here while she's away. Brooke, being a product uh, of the program and as close as you are to Sue, I would imagine that you would make some tweaks along the way, but no wholesale changes. <laughs> but, but what are you going to do to uh, kind of reflect your personality? Yeah, well, that's a great question. The first thing is when you're, we're just talking strictly basketball, and especially this year with the roster changes that we've had, 
and losing those three seniors and leading scorers from last year, the basketball was going to change regardless of, of who was coaching, just because of the different dynamic and makeup of our personnel. Um, so basketball wise, it's, we're not changing everything, but again, we're making some tweaks based on who we have and the strengths of, of who we have on the roster overall, just our program philosophy and the way we operate doesn't change because I, you know, having been a player for coach Sue and wholeheartedly believe in how she runs a program, which again, like I said, is person first, student second, athlete third making all our decisions and, and being about the growth and, and the care of the character of these young women that doesn't change. So, um, you know, I try to uphold all of those things and, and just really be about our players and their growth, their well-being, especially during this time, their mental and emotional well-being along with their physical staying healthy um, is of the utmost importance and everything flows from there. Coaching wise, um, you know, I have my own personality. I'm coach is probably a lot nicer than I am. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> you know, I'm a young coach that just wants to be right all the time and get after it. And she's learned those lessons of, uh, and, and has a lot more success and just, you know, uh, staying patient. But I'm trying to work on that. She's been a great role model in that sense as well. But we just want to have fun. I mean, take it a day at a time and be thankful that we even get to play basketball every day that we can. Because as we know, tomorrow and being able to play is is not promised right now. So, Brooke, why don't you give our listeners a thumbnail sketch of your team? You mentioned losing the key seniors. I think you were pitched to finish sixth in the ACC. We just got your schedule this week. I mean, you've obviously had an idea what it would be, but it's – uh, it's limited and there's also not, you know, the way basketball works, if you get about a COVID or the opponent does, you know, there's not the likelihood of being able to reschedule games is, is, is not really there. So it's going to be a, a crazy year, but tell us a little bit about your team. Well, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of familiar faces. I, although we did leave, lose those three seniors, we do have a good crop of, of players that'll be familiar to those that have watched us that have been getting the experience, whether it's a Morgan Jones who started for us pretty consistently for the last two years, as well as Valencia Myers, um, Courtney Weber, who's played, who's started as well at times and played a lot of minutes, uh, Sammy Puisis and River Baldwin, who were key contributor contributors last year as freshmen. Um, those faces are back. Uh, and they are ready to step up and they need to be ready to step up into those in, in the bigger roles and to fill those shoes left by those three seniors scoring and rebounding wise. Uh, we really are looking to them to, to take over, um, you know, take on those roles and, and score more. We have Bianca Jackson, who is a red shirt, um, red shirt. She's a red shirt junior. Now she sat out last year, transferred from South Carolina She's going to be a huge factor for us. She has that high major experience. She was a starter at South Carolina. She had a lot of experience on the big stage. So she's looking to come in and make a big impact. And then we have Tiana England, who's our grad transfer at the point guard position, who we're really excited about. She's got that, those four years of leading a team as a point guard under her belt, um, which we'll really miss from, from Nikki Akamu and Naja Wolfbook from last year. So we're ready. I mean, the ACC, we have a couple more ACC games this year. Uh, so that'll be interesting. It's just such a good competitive conference. We'll be playing some more of that kind of basketball. Uh, but these kids are excited. They've been working really, really hard. 
So like I said, we're taking it a day at a time and ready for ready for what's next. <laughs> Brooke, how did you change your staff? Were you actually able to add an extra person to fulfill that role? And, and what that what does that look like? Yeah, we have a couple changes on our staff. One was um, one of our assistant coaches, JC Carter, took another job and, and was became an associate head coach um, over at Texas Tech. So we hired uh, one of our alumni who a lot of people will remember, Morgan Tolls, who was uh, played for us and then was a graduate assistant for us for a few years before going to Kent State to be an assistant for four years. And so she's back. And it's been a great addition to have her as an ex, an ex player, an alumni who is passionate about Florida State, knows our program inside and out and has that experience um, at that point guard position to help really, you know, lead and, and teach our guards. And then um, in Coach Sue's absence, we made Adam Sorgine, who is our video coordinator. Uh, he is now an interim assistant coach, and he's been great uh, to have this amazing energy. Again, someone that knows our program and knows what we're doing um, and has a lot of really good basketball knowledge as well as a video coordinator. So. We're, we're holding steady. The staff is great. Joy McCorvey is not the associate head coach, and she's been amazing as well. Just a great support um, and leader as well and, and handling a lot of our, our defensive uh, schemes. And, and um, so we feel great, and, and Coach Sue has uh, really put a lot of trust in us. So we're not taking that lightly. Brooke, I want you to be honest here now. I'm sure that you've had, you know, have and have had and continue to have aspirations to be a head coach. But but once the keys were handed to you and Coach Sue is on the West Coast, did, did the weight on your shoulders feel more significant as you roll into the office? Or maybe you haven't felt it yet because you haven't coached a game. But all of a sudden, there's these things that when you're an assistant, you really don't have to worry about that now you have to worry about. Yeah, I always used to laugh at Coach Sue, but not laugh in a mean way. But she would come in and be like, oh, I had this would be in the middle of july and she'd come in and or tell us i had the craziest dream last night we were losing to clemson and this was going on and i'm like you're dreaming about losing to these people like that happened all the time she has that you know is that head coach stress where you either don't sleep very well if you're sleeping you're you're still thinking about basketball and what's going on with the team that as assistants and i never took that lightly that we didn't have that pressure it's the cool part about being a head coach that everything's on you and you can take a program and direct it in the way that you see fit. Um, but it's also like you're saying that the pressure is, is there and it, it is all on you now. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's been a really interesting challenge every single day, having to wake up and, and decide and think through how, how, where does the team go today? You know, it's, it's, we have the long-term goals, which are somewhat easy to, to come by, but now it's every single day. How do I lead this? Where do, what direction do we take? What changes do we make? What do I need to say? Who do I need to get to, um, you know, to move us in the right direction? So it's been, it's been fun. And once we start playing games, that takes on a whole new dynamic. And I can't speak to that yet. Hopefully it'll be, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that'll, that'll be um, an overall positive experience as well. We'll see. Well, along that same vein, and I know it happened. Don't tell us it didn't happen, but, Tell us about the first time you had to call and say, Coach Sue, you didn't tell me about this that I got to do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just it honestly, I could call her like every day or every hour and not just say you didn't tell me, but 
Now I understand. I understand why you acted that way, why you said that, why you were worried about that. Whereas, a, you know, an assistant in my comfortable chair as an assistant is like, oh, why are you worried about that, Coach Sue? Come on. Now I see. And that's really what it is. Every single thing I come across, I totally, you know, can see from her perspective why why she is the way she is in a lot of ways. And I mean, that'll, that just helps me be, uh, you know, a better coach and a better assistant once she's back. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I really could be blowing up her phone all day. If I, if I told her everything I think through on that, on that front. Well, she'll have to screen you out at some point so you can live on your own. Right. she's got to let you, you gotta, you gotta do that. Hey Brooke, we'll wrap up. And this is, this is not a basketball question, but it occurs to me that, you know, when you arrived at FSU, and I can remember, shoot, I remember when Coach Sue was hired and I was calling your games, and the, the program had was really at the bottom when yeah. you came in, and you, and you helped build it up. But now we look back, and, and unless you've been closely associated with women's basketball, you don't realize that. I think the casual fan would think FSU's gone to the NCAA tournament every year. And so I'm asking you this because at the same time you were here, the football program was playing for national titles every year. And and right now we have a situation in football where they've gone the other way. And I don't know if I'm asking for tips for coach Norvell or for me or for fans. Uh, It just feels like it's part of it, but, but you're proof that you can turn things around. It just takes some time. Absolutely. It does. And, and when you're in it, it's just, it's really, really hard. Like you said, once you're out on the other side, it's like, Oh man, how cool was that? That building front, we built this from the ground up. This is so amazing. But man, I, I still remember it's going through those tough times is, is physically and mentally and emotionally so difficult. Um, But the, the biggest key was just the faith that Florida state, the administration, the fans, um, just there was people, the faith that they put in to coach Sue and the team and the program. And obviously the results had to come at some point or it would have been over, you know, the results had to come, but it really was a four year process from the time that she and I came in that first year, my freshman year to just making the NCAA tournament, my senior year, man, there were some hard moments and a lot of doubting. So I just, I, that's where having lived through that, when, when we see the struggles of, of a football program, I believe in Coach Norvell and what he's doing. And, and I believe in the administration that's behind him um, and, and just the culture of Florida State and the love and the passion that the fans have um, for this school and this athletic program. And I know we'll get there. We will. It's just <laughs> day and age, there is no magic pill. If things turn quickly, it means something's not right behind the scenes, honestly. I mean, it's there is no substitute for that process, for that the putting in the work to, to earn that the, those wins and that success. So I'm all in with, with, with our football team and Coach Norvell. I believe I'm pulling for them every single, every single second and, um, and just really appreciate the culture that we have at Florida State to, to get back to that championship culture because it's there. It's there. Well, it's certainly there in women's basketball. Our, our listeners can't see you, Brooke, but you're grinning from ear to ear. Now, coaches do not, as a rule, get to grin from ear to ear over the course of a grueling season. But uh, we're glad that you're having fun and wish you the best of luck this season. Thank you both so much for having me. I'm grinning because it's always good to see you guys. And I just I'm so thankful to be able to come on here and talk a little bit. Brooke Wyckoff, acting head coach for Florida State women's basketball. We'll step aside, and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. 
Monroe Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Final segment. Not too much longer to uh, to finish up the show, Keith. Would you like to talk about basketball instead of football? I would like to catch my breath because right now Brooke has worn me out. Well, uh, Brooke, there's that's just too much energy. The first Bless half of the heart. show was the football, and then Brooke joined us, and we do wish her the best of luck. We haven't talked about Leonard's team at all when I say talk about basketball. So I mentioned it. I teased it early on, but they were picked to finish third behind Virginia and Duke. Schedule was announced this week. Unfortunately, given that it's only going to be 25% attendance at the Tucker Center, it's the best home schedule they've had in a long time. I mean, Florida, Indiana, Carolina, Duke, Virginia. Yep. 15 home games out of 25 on the schedule. I mean, that's pretty tremendous. And uh, remind our listeners that the ladies will open on the day before Thanksgiving at Florida A&M, but Florida State's men's team will open in the Tucker Center on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Gardner-Webb, if I – if memory serves, I'm not sure the time has been announced yet, but you're right. Uh, vast, vast bulk of the two games at home and, and you got Indiana coming in. I know that uh, maybe they're not of the same caliber as we remember from the the seventies and the early eighties, but a name program as well, making that home schedule look really, really, really attractive. Well, they beat FSU last year, so we don't have to go back to the Bobby Knight days to be ready for that game. Um, Scotty Barnes, preseason ACC freshman of the year. And, and you know, we had team all ACC as well. We had Stan on last week and uh, he was not pumping the brakes on him. No, um, he is. Uh, he evidently has impressed everyone here in the early going. Thought it was interesting that MJ Walker made second team preseason all ACC, but he was third in conference player of the year voting, which is a little curious because that means he was at least sixth in terms of making the first team all conference since he made the second team, but whatever. Actually, actually not to correct you, but I think it's seventh because I think they picked six on the first team. Oh, okay. But, but, but your point is uh, very, yeah. very valid. I can tell you, by the way, that I've heard through the grapevine that uh, – so remember this came up a few weeks ago when Nick Saban tested negative three days in a row and got uh, permission to coach because the SEC had the foresight to have that built into their their policies, that the ACC is indeed looking at that and exploring that, and it might take effect starting with basketball season, which goes back to the fact that there's no way Coach K and Roy, if they can test out of it, are going to miss however many games you play in a two-week span. Or a 10-day span, if you're positive. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, uh, remember when we had the Dion rule when he didn't take his final exam and they still allowed to play, and then they put that in the next year. Now we got the Coach K and the Coach Williams uh, COVID rule. Uh, As long as you can test some negative, we'll let you be out there. Yeah, so that's not in yet, but I think think they're looking at it. Um, Yeah, I'm excited about basketball season. I'm, I'm disappointed about the crowd situation, but I understand. I mean, we should be happy that we have sports at all. Uh, speaking of which, are we still happy we had football, Keith? I'm going to say yes, because I can't imagine what it would have been like without it completely, but I won't tell you that it has been an enjoyable season. How about, how about if I frame it that way? Yeah, that's true. But, you know, at some point you just got to – 
you, I'll say this. I mean, if you look at the last two years when Florida State was flirting with 500, when you're when you're flirting with 500, you can argue things both ways. When you when you have a season like this one's going, uh, it, you know, it probably is best to just hit the bottom, uh, refresh the roster, figure out who you can win with, and move forward. Which, in essence, is what's happening this year. I had the privilege of uh, joining a, a bunch of folks in the uh, little drive-by that occurred on Sunday to wish Coach Bowden a happy birthday. And in front of me in the drive-by was Kurt Unglob. And behind me in the drive-by was Wally Woodham. So I'm talking to Wally and Kurt, and we're talking about the season. And I know it's 40 years ago, and I'm reminiscing. But Wally brought up a really good point. Because people forget that Wally was not recruited by Coach Bowden. He was actually recruited by Daryl Mudra. So Wally was here in 75 when they won three games. And he was here in 76 under Coach Bowden when they won five games. And right now, we would probably take that. But then the next year, they won 10 games. And the year after that, they were undefeated. And uh, Wally's point was, it does take some time. But maybe, just maybe, when it does turn around, it'll turn around quickly. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope so. Well, I think that's true. That goes back to what we discussed with Brooke as we wrap up, Keith. When you're in it, it feels interminable. It, it's never going to end. This is the way it'll be forever. And then before you know it, you know, things have turned. Unfortunately, we all want to jump right to that page now, and it's just not the way it works. Um, but it is what it is, Keith. You and I, uh, we'll, we'll do this again next week. Maybe we'll be in a better mood. Maybe we won't. Either way, we'll be here. We are consistent, if nothing else. Good Lord willing, that is. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll, we'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. Control.